airing the Addisons. Let me say this, as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we've got to be careful and make sure that in everything, man, we are trying to get as close to what the word says as possible. And we got to understand that with that type of wickedness, man, you know, God does not wink at that. That's judgment. Promoting truth, wisdom, and empowerment. And you don't have shades of truth. You have truth or you have error. You have fact or you have fiction. And now we go into the thick of it. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Erin Addison's. On American Family Radio, thank you so much for joining us. I'm Miki. And I'm Will. Sherry B is over in Studio CC. She's mad at me. <laughs> no, no. No, she is. She's not mad. No, she is. No. Sherry and I have the kind of relationship where um, <laughs> we are very indirect with each other. So when we're mad, we just give each other the silent treatment because we believe that indirect is better than being direct. <laughs> She's not we, mad. We believe it accomplishes more. It accomplishes <laughs> more to just roll your eyes at people <laughs> and just say, you know what? <laughs> Fine. Great. <laughs> My favorite end to a conversation that is tense is, you know what? Have a nice day. <laughs> I'm just kidding. That's not true. Um, but I did, I'm my, here's my public apology to Sherry B because I didn't have time as we were coming in the, into the studio. If we, if we had time, <laughs> I would have gone back out into studio CC and apologized to her. So here's my public, um, humiliation. Um, I'm sorry that I clowned you in the meeting that we were just in, Sherry. I'm sorry <laughs> that I made fun of you, um, by exaggerating what you were trying to say. It is a human weakness of mine. All right. I am prone to, to make fun, but when it goes too far, it goes too far. And it interrupted Sherry's ability to enjoy her, I guess it's unsweet tea. I don't know what it is. <laughs> Frankly, it's none of my business. She just looked up for that. Okay, fine. Now we're okay. <laughs> All I want to do is heal relationships, okay? If, oh. we can, if we can admit when we have hurt feelings, then the world can be a better place. Sherry, are we okay? Because if we're not, she's okay. <laughs> Look, if Sherry does not forgive me... Um, not to sound all preachy, but neither shall she be forgiven. <laughs> well. And, uh, and then also the show is ruined because everybody who wants to talk to us, she's like, oh, I don't know. We're not getting any calls today. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> guess people don't like y'all either. Okay. <laughs> I don't know why people aren't calling in. Maybe it's just because That's they funny. don't like you, Miki. Um, anyway, no, we're all good. We just got out of a meeting um, as we continue to move forward um, in the Mary. It's a diet green tea. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. The diet green tea is what Sherry's drinking. She cares about the details. Um, just got out of a meeting as we we're pulling together, you know, all of the, the nuts and bolts of the Marriage, Family, and Life Conference happening June 25th through the 27th. And uh, we're very, very excited about yes, it. Yes. And there are a lot of pieces that go into that. Yeah. Um, and so we just got out of a meeting. And as I said, as I came in, I was clowning Sherry B. You know how you do exaggeration, like, mm-hmm. you know, to, you know, make people laugh is what I do. And um, apparently I went too far. <laughs> and they said, well, did somebody say you went too far? Yeah, the Holy Spirit. Mm, well, Discernment. that's all you need. When you know, right? <laughs> you, just have to, <laughs> you ever seen the person that everybody in the room knows that they should be convicted except them? <laughs> yes. You ever been in that yes. room where everyone in the room knows, ee, that's too far, except the person who is just going. Right. Why does that happen? Why is it that that person doesn't know? Do, are they just overriding? Are they grieving the, the Holy Spirit? The spirit. I don't know. Anyways, uh, the Marriage, Family, and Life Conference is coming up uh, June 25th, 26th, and 27th. You can go to marriagefamilylife.net and get registered. It is a family event. There was family. A youth, 
youth apologetics track yes. um, for kids ages four to 17. If your yes. kid is three and under, of course you don't pay to attend the event. Um, but we try to make this cost effective. So you've got uh, a family deal. There's a family package. If you go, um, it sounds like Ola Mill Pictures. Ola Mills. Mills. You remember Ola oh, Mills? Wow. Yeah. I'd is like that to a, know. Was that a national thing? I think Sherry's shaking her head. Okay. Yes. I feel All like right. that was a thing. It was okay. like, you know, Olin, Olin Mills, Mills. Yeah. did family pictures and you'd get a family package of pictures. Mm -hmm. But anyway, um, if you go to marriagefamilylife.net, you'll see that if you're married with three kids, um, if you get a family package, uh, that's, you would be paying what you'd pay for your registration, a couple registration, and then the three kids. Right. But that package extends to um, up to five kids. Yeah. So then basically those two kids would be free. Yeah. And then every kid that you register after that is like $10 a we're kid. We're not penalizing families. That's exactly that what large. we're trying to do. What we're trying to do is say you're not out of this because you have many children. Yes. Yeah, so bring them all. Bring them <laughs> For real, bring them all. Bring we got them something all. good for them. Yeah, it'll you make know. more sense when you go to the website, yeah. marriagefamilylife.net, marriagefamilylife.net. Um, Dr. Frank Turek, Dr. Michael Brown, Dr. Alex McFarlane, Miki Addison, Abraham Hamilton III. I try to slip my name right after the doctors. <clears throat> <laughs> You're riding their coattails? Well, I mean, you know, <laughs> their doctor's coattails. Well, you see what I did there? Go. No? Okay. Um, I have this story here. We're going to talk to Ann Reed of the AFA Journal, and we're also going to talk to John Blanford, and as we continue our discussion about um, abortion in this country, we're going to talk to them and uh, learn more about post-abortive recovery. John Blanford, uh, who produced a film called The Apology a few mm. years ago, where men were taking responsibility for their role in abortion, which was just revolutionary. You kind of wondered, why didn't we have this conversation before? But for some reason, we didn't. Uh, John Blanford, being post-abortive himself, uh, led the initiative in producing this film, and he was also in it as men um, apologized and took responsibility mm -hmm. for their role in abortion. And frankly, I think there could be another revamping of the film because I think it was like 2015 when this film came out. So here we are, 2020. I think, I think you could have another one where mm -hmm. you stir people's conscience and awaken their understanding that men and women are involved in abortion. Yeah, So yeah, no, you're right. We're going to be talking to John Blanford uh, in just a little bit. Yeah. Before we do that, I mm -hmm. want to throw this story out at you. Throw it. And I want to I get your take on this. Are you catching it too, Sherry? <laughs> okay, we're good. <laughs> um, this, this almost seems like it's a Babylon Bee story, oh. but it's not. Okay. All right, it's not, right? It is that outrageous. Wow, okay. But it's a real story. And I want you to listen carefully. And then I want you to tell me what you think this says about where we are in the body of Christ. And again, I just want to say in 21st century America, like what is going on? So this story is out of a town called Cottage Grove in Minnesota. Mm -hmm. Cottage Grove in Minnesota. A struggling Minnesota church is asking its older parishioners to leave in hopes of making it more attractive to young families. Okay. A struggling Minnesota church mm -hmm is asking its older parishioners to leave. to leave in the hopes of making the church more attractive to young families. That's not how it goes. Now, this yeah. sounds like a Babylon Man, Bee story, doesn't it? But I'm going to continue because wow. this, this, this story really saddened me. It really grieved me I, I, it deeply. Okay, but this is an actual story. Grove United Methodist Church in the St. Paul suburb of Cottage Grove is closing in June of this year with plans to relaunch in November. 
the present members, most of them are over 60 years old. Mm. They will be invited to worship elsewhere. Wow. Guys, I'm, this is outrageous to me. I'm just going to continue because I think all the details so, are important. Wait, so, yeah. okay. So they're, 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 re, they're shutting down and going to reopen. But the reason that they're shutting down is because the members are too old? And because they, they believe that the church is numerically dying. And they believe the reason the church is numerically dying is because it does not appeal to younger people, younger families. And they believe the impediment to that appeal is that there are older believers at the church. Hmm. This is outrageous. This is outrageous. Let me continue with the story. The church is asking that the older members stay away for two years then consult the pastor about reapplying to be members of the church. Did, wh- what? Okay, they're asking for the older members to stay away for a period of about two years. Church oh, officials said that the congregation needs a reset and the best way to appeal to younger people mm-hmm. is for the older people just to go away. Wow. So... Did, did they have any comments from the um old, the the members? Well, the older members are offended, and rightly so. Yeah, I would like to hear but what they I, have to know, say. You know, I think that's you know, but that's that's crazy. That's that's a totally off base mindset to have. You know. So the Grove United Methodist Church is the product of a 2008 merger with a large church in Woodbury, mm. and the Cottage Grove Church has struggled with membership and finances. Seven years ago, Methodist officials said they could no longer pay for its minister, so the church switched to lay ministry with weekly sermons by members. The church's attendance and finances have stabilized recently uh, with an average weekly attendance of 25. 25 people in average Mm -hmm. weekly attendance. The Methodist regional body is paying $250,000 to restart the church. They have hired... and Listen... (laughs) They have hired a specialist in starting new churches, 30-year-old by the name of Jeremy Peters, who moved to Cottage Grove with his wife and two children for the launch or the relaunch, which they expect to take place in November. Quoting Jeremy Peters here, it's a new thing with a new mission for a new target and a new culture. Wow. Wow. This grieves me deeply, Will. Yeah, that's insane. That's crazy. So this is what Peter said, the 30-year-old who moved to Cottage Grove to undertake this relaunch. It's, it's like you shut down a restaurant and then give it a new face and then say, this is, we're changing our right. format here. We're, we are changing what we offer. How do you do that to a church? Exactly oh right. Oh, my goodness. So listen, this is what Jeremy Peters goes on to point out, that the older members will not be physically barred from attending because let's just face it, that would be rude. That's, me, that's my commentary. Right, right. Okay, that's not what he said. So the, the older members will not be physically barred from attending. He did say that, all right? But this is what he went on to say. But the expectation is that they won't. Mm. In other words, we're going to engineer the type of congregation wow. that will not be appealing to these older members. So we will get rid of them by creating a younger, I would imagine what you call a hipster type mm-hmm, church. Mm-hmm. Where the older members, and, and this is unfortunate because what I assume he is saying is that, you know, those who come to the church for Jesus, those who come because they want to hear the word of God taught, 
those who come because they want to be equipped for the work of ministry, mm-hmm. those who come to be a mutual encouragement to one another, they are not going to be welcomed. But you know who's going to be welcomed? The younger hipster ones, maybe the ones who want some smoke, maybe some lights. Yeah. M- maybe you want a coffee bar. Look, and I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to be extra here. I'm not trying to knock any of that. Mm-hmm. All right? I'm in, I'm, I will be 41 next month. So I'm not coming after anyone younger than me at all. Mm-hmm. But I think that you don't understand the purpose of the church right. if you exclude people based on age or you're trying to make a hipper and younger church. What do we? It's not a rave. Right. It's not a club. <laughs> right. That's exactly right. I mean, what are you going to do? Insane. You're going to, you know, take out the pulpit and put in strobe lights? Like, they what? what is it that it's going to keep the like older that. people away? I don't understand this. But you would agree with me, Will agree, mm-hmm. that this shows, one, a lack of understanding right. of the purpose that God has for the body of Christ. Right. And two, a disdain and a lack of understanding for the benefits of intergenerational ministry. Yeah, they don't get it. They don't see how much they can glean from uh, these older saints, you know. And this is sad. It's kind of a a, a, a sign of, of the times, like, you know, as far as wanting to follow certain trends, bringing in this guy who's like a, a specialist on church renovations or whatever he is, you know, that's not how you build a church. It's ungodly. That's not how you build a church, you know? And and to to say, you know, we're not going to bar them from coming in, but we're going to just hope, basically hope that they don't want to come back. They know they're going to change some things to where the people are probably like, ah, that's not even our church anymore. That's not, you know, and it, it's, it's, it's crazy. It's sad. I'm going to tell you what, I would not attend a church that's not relevant to anybody older than me. Yeah. Because if, be if, if your everyone. church is not relevant to anyone older than me, your church is not relevant. Exactly. The, 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 the gospel does not have, it's not, if, if there's a specialization, it is sin, right? <laughs> if the, if there's a, if, I mean, if there's a specialty here, if there's a focus, mm-hmm. it is the fact that we need a savior, that we must repent, turn from our sin, put exactly. our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe that he was resurrected for us. That I mean, if that's if we're gonna be looking for a target audience, it's the one who has understood that he's a sinner and that there's no righteousness in him. That's your target audience. Yeah. <laughs> no, you wanna you wanna have you wanna walk in with coffee cups? You want donuts and smoke and lights and steam? You wanna hand out headphones when people walk in because they can't hear themselves think? I grieve for the church in America. I grieve for the church in America. Now we're excluding older Christians because we want a hipster church. Let us all collectively weep and mourn. Yeah. All right. Aaron the Addison's on American Family Radio. We'll be right back. Give me you. Everything else can wait. Give me you. I hope I'm not too late. Lord, give me you. Lord, give me you. Lord, give me you. Lord, give me you. Give me you. Lord, 
And I'm Will, and that's Shanna Wilson will Give Me You. And Sherry B is over in Studio CC, and joining us in studio is Ann Reed, who writes for the AFA Journal. And uh, as we talk about post-abortive care, we talk about what it is to be pro-life, we cannot move away from the healing that has to take place. Um, a couple days ago, we were talking with Karen Ellison and talking about the ministry that she has to yes. post-abortive women and, uh, and I know personally that you have walked through a process where the Lord has uh, healed you yes. and then also brought you into the ministry, the work that is um, post-abortive care. Mm-hmm. But for some of our listeners who may not be familiar with that, can we talk about the hope that is on the other side of um, abortion? Absolutely. Be happy to. Thanks for having me. Mickey yeah, no, I'm glad you're here. <laughs> so take us back. Um, you know, I think what some... Christians and I think even people who are willing to wrestle with this. I know that our culture is trying to make it um, where we have lost our sense of morality. So now mm-hmm. we have people celebrating abortion. They're trying to disconnect morality uh, from it. But for those of us who uh, will not suppress our conscience, you know, I think many people wonder what are some of the circumstances and how do you wrestle with the decision to have an abortion and then move on from there even before we start to get to the recovery and the healing, what are the circumstances that surround uh, making that tough decision? Well, I think it's different for each person. I have, uh, I just have to be very honest about my situation. Uh, And this has come with a great deal of healing that I've been able to do this. I think for all of us who have experienced abortion, you know, it's the great lie. Mm -hmm. And we just experience so much guilt and shame. And it's a very difficult thing because, before I experienced, I'm going to get to answer your question, but before I experienced uh, the healing that I've experienced, um, because of so much guilt and shame, it is a very, very difficult process to even begin to make admissions to yourself. Yes. Um, So so for me, uh, in particular, it is different than than the story of many. Um, And as we talk about abortion, we try to always make allowances for women who many times were coerced and and highly pressured into those kinds of situations. Uh, That's not my story. Um, When I became sexually active when I was 15, um, you know, I realized that I could certainly become pregnant as a result of being sexually active. And as I kind of wrestled with that at that point, not being pregnant, just sexually active, you know, realizing that I could get pregnant, of course. And so kind of came up with a plan. If that were to happen, what would I do? So I just decided at that point that that's something I can fall back on. I could just, if if that would happen, God forbid that it would, um, I would have an abortion. And I know at this point, it, it, it probably sounds like really cold for me to just talk about this so matter-of-factly. Um, and I don't mean for it to. 
It's just that I, I have been through all of this healing, mm-hmm. um, and I don't want to portray this in a way that, that is in the least bit dishonest. Mm-hmm. It was because I was so terribly deceived mm-hmm. at that time. Um, I was so afraid, number one, of my father finding out that I was sexually active. And in my mind, that was a way to, to get out of, of that possibility, of him finding that out. Um, and then also, it was not being talked about in the church. In some way, I knew that it was frowned upon mm-hmm. by Christian people. But honestly, at that time, because of where I was, uh, I really just thought it was judgmentalism, mm-hmm. like, oh, well, Christians have to take their stand on one way or another, and they're always taking their stands. And so um, I didn't understand biologically, mm-hmm. you know, what the truth was. It wasn't being talked about that time, and it really wasn't being explained in the church at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and it wasn't really being talked about. When I think back on that now, I don't really know where I, how I became was on some level aware that Christians did not agree with abortion, mm-hmm. but it was it was kind of a, a, a vague understanding at that time. Let me ask you this, and so so go back to the age of fifteen and and having this understanding that okay, there is the possibility that I could become pregnant, I could conceive mm-hmm. a child. How are you even aware? Because now, I mean, there is, I would say there is an aggressive move to normalize abortion. So Mm -hmm. I think that the average 15-year-old would have had, I I mean, I don't want to exaggerate, but I would just imagine that hundreds of messages about abortion and that it's normal and that it's routine and that there's nothing to be concerned about. And we know that we have Planned Parenthood making moves to get into schools and Mm -hmm. teach sex ed and all of these things. But at 15, many, many years ago, right? Mm -hmm. Like you wouldn't, this was not everywhere. Mm -hmm. So how does it, into your mind like how is that a part of your consideration that well I would have to terminate this pregnancy if that were ever to happen do you remember how you know at that point I really don't know like I said I don't know even how I even had any knowledge whatsoever because it, it at that time that was in that was like 1984 85 mm-hmm. um, so it wasn't being talked about in my circles of influence um, so it was some kind of vague um understanding that that was kind of out there and available yeah but it was a couple of years later and we actually moved from Louisiana we moved to Sarasota Florida and it was kind of a different environment there Uh, and I do remember my best friend talking about Planned Parenthood and I remember her saying that you can go there and you can get um, birth control without your parents knowing Mm -hmm. and it was just kind of and it were there were also I don't want to get too much into the specifics but there were also some things that were said um by people who were close to me and like each one was like kind of like another little nail in the coffin you know when my friend made this comment about Planned Parenthood and she presented it like oh this is something good they they like us you know that's that's the kind of the idea that Planned Parenthood wants to present to young wow. people. Like, wow. we're on your side. We're not like your parents. We're, we're on your side. Um, so, you know, her just making that one comment, there was another person, an adult who was close to me, um, who made a comment, um, something to this effect. Well, you know, if abortion wasn't legal, then, then girls would just go to back alleys and have, and have abortions anyway. Mm -hmm. And this was a Christian who was very close to me. And so people don't realize just little comments they make like that and how far reaching, uh, how much influence that they have just by 
little comments that, that you may think nothing of when you say it. Mm-hmm. And it, can I also just put in that category? And, and it's interesting because speaking specifically about abortion, but I think that there are comments that are similar to that that send messages to women who are pregnant. It's like, oh, again, oh, better yeah. you than me. As exactly. if like it starts to plant this seed of right. doubt that children are a blessing, that you should feel, oh my goodness, yeah, you're right. What's Why am I having another baby? And I, just to stay there for a second, I think that as believers, we should be very measured with our words exactly. and we should give full consideration to what we're saying. Exactly. And that's and that's exactly the case. I'm not saying I'm, t- I'm trying to blame anyone. No, I don't not at all. That. That's not right. what I'm doing. Right. But it's like you said, it's seeds that were planted, just a flippant little comment. And you never know what somebody else is already going through yes. and, and what their thought press processes already are and how, how you may be attributing to thought processes that are already wrong. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So let's fast forward. So you are pregnant and now you're at the place where, okay, I've already thought through how I would handle this. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have those moments along the way where you're like, no, I'm not going to, I'm not going to do this. I can't go forward. Or is it just sort of like, no, I've already resolved to do this and I'm going to have this abortion. You know, uh, this has been many years Mm -hmm. at this point and a lot of things I've had to kind of, especially during my healing process, I had to go back and I had to ask myself those kinds of questions and kind of rethink things. And I, I think for me, there were moments where I wanted to reconsider. I really wanted to, um, but I had this resolve. And it's like you said, no, I've already decided this and this is what I'm doing. Um, even, you know, the moment getting into the specifics, the morning that I went into the abortion clinic and the father of the child was with me, he later became my husband. And I was off on how far along I was. I was further along than I thought I was to the point that they didn't even know if they were going to be able to do it. And so they had to do a pelvic exam. And um, so when they, after they did that, and then they said, we, we're, we are going to be able to do it, but it's very, very close. So, you know, it's still, you can probably hear my voice. Yeah, it's still, after yeah. all these years and all yeah. this healing, it is still, you know, it's something that we never completely get over, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so I, deep down inside, I really hoped they, that they would come back and tell me that it's too late. We mm-hmm. can't do it. Because I think part of it was that, I didn't want to let the father of the baby down wow. because I had already told him I was going to do this and I had to stick with my word. So if, if the, if they, if the healthcare providers would have come back and said it's too late, then I would have had an out. Interesting. <laughs> and, and because I also hear in that also, if the father had said, no, we're not going to do this, that would have been another out. So it shows the importance of men stepping in and saying, these are my children. Absolutely. I can say that for myself. And I've probably led a good 40 or 50 women through post-abortion recovery. Mm -hmm. And almost every woman that I have led through post-abortion has said that, that I just wanted somebody, whether it's him, it's sometimes the father wasn't even in the picture at mm-hmm. all, but I wanted, I just wanted somebody to rescue me. 
You know, like I think of it like when when my children were little and there were times when um, they were just emotionally distraught over something. And as a mother, I would imagine you've experienced this before. And there are times when you just want to take them or, or you have. Yes. You've just taken them and they might be frantic and you just take them and you just, you take their, their arms are flailing about and you yes. just take them and you hold them and you hold them tight yes. and you rescue them. Yes. You know, that's what women, when they look back on the situation, that's a picture of what we wish someone would have done for us. Mm. So I know I don't want us to run out of time in this segment. Um, we're going to actually talk to a post-abortive father in the next segment, yes. which I think will be uh, bring some interesting insight to what you're saying as mm -hmm. well. But as we move along, as we move forward, um, I was reading an article that you wrote last year, Hope After Abortion, and there was one thing that you said in the article that really struck me, and you said after having the abortion, there would be these different reminders um, that would come, forgetting was an impossible feat after mm -hmm. having this abortion. The subject would come up at the most unexpected times. At a child's birthday party, a mother was suddenly blurting out, I don't understand how anyone could ever have an abortion. Mm -hmm. And then you'd face this shame, this guilt, this anger, and um, hatred for what you mm -hmm. had done. How did you move past that to receive the forgiveness of the Lord and to walk through not only wholeness and, and healing for you, but to be able to walk other women through that? Well, you know, that was actually a gift. Uh, there was a, period, a short period of time. It was actually early in my walk with the Lord. Uh, I, was, I had gone for years just bearing that abortion way down in the, the dark recesses of my heart, and I actually told the Lord that you're never going to get this. This is never coming out, and that's when all of those things started happening everywhere I turned. That was one example, you know, and, and I recognized that that was a gift because he wanted me. Like, mm. he... God wanted all of me. He didn't want any parts of me that were reserved and mm -hmm. that were off limits. Mm -hmm. He wanted to heal me. Amen. You know, um, so he just began to um, years before there were about two or three years of healing before I ever went to a, through a post-abortion Bible study, just one on one with the Lord. Um, and interestingly, because I've already shared that the part of the reason that I didn't want to have an abortion was because of, you know, my dad wanting, not wanting me to know, that was the first thing he directed me to do, the Holy Spirit, I want you to tell your dad. Wow. And so just walking that process out with the Lord and in doing so, receiving that healing for myself, I wanted other women to experience the same healing that I had received. You know, and I, I want to do something. I, we're going to grab this break and just I want to take just a couple seconds on the other side of the break because I want you to give some information for women who are post-abortive and need healing. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't want to rush through that so that they can have access to that information. So I'm going to grab this break. We'll come back. We'll wrap up with Ann Reed, and then we'll talk to John Blanford, also post-abortive. Um, there is hope and there is healing after abortion. Aaron the Addison's American Family Radio. We'll be right back. Yeah. When you lead the way, there's not a thing that can come in between us. Giving me faith so that I won't give up showing your love. 
My name is Daniel Phillips. My name is John Blanford. My name is uh, Shane Eidelman. I'm a believer in the, in the Lord Jesus. I've been following Christ since 2001. I'm the lead pastor of Westside Christian Fellowship. I lead a home group, uh, disciple a couple of guys. I write weekly for the Christian Post. And uh, I had an abortion. I've had two abortions. I had an abortion. So I was 28, and uh, I didn't know God. Um, I called myself a Christian, though, at the time. I would go to church a couple of times a month, and uh, I just started dating this gal, and uh, she got pregnant. We had a uh, passive-aggressive stance. Um, I was neither here nor there, so I never even fought for the opportunity to save the child. I conceded uh, to an abortion, and even as a pastor, uh, that decision still haunts me today. What would they look like? Would it be a boy? Would it be a girl? Uh, their first step, saying daddy, watching them grow. Uh, but those are just dreams, dreams that often leave me heartbroken. I should have manned up, and I should have fought for you, and I didn't. I didn't. I am so grateful that you are in heaven with Jesus. King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and you got to see him before I did. And I know you're going to extend me grace, but I just, it would have been so cool to hang out with you here on earth. Oh man, welcome back. Welcome <laughs> back to Aaron the Addison's on American Family Radio. That is a clip from the apology. I want to say we're at about five years ago that that was mm -hmm. released, and was the first time that I had ever seen anything yeah. like that. Um, it was the first time, honestly, I had ever heard men talk about being post-abortive, ever. Mm -hmm. The first time ever. And I mean, you know, <laughs> I consider myself to be pretty immersed in like pro-life mm -hmm. issues. Yeah. You know, but to hear a man, I've, I've heard I've from heard men who were under the threat of being aborted. Right. I've heard from men who made it out, you know, mm -hmm. but I'd never heard from men and got to witness that raw emotion of, no, I was I participated in this. That was the first time I ever heard men express feelings about abortion in in that way. I didn't, because yes. I never really came into contact with, you know, um, someone at least knowingly. Yes. That uh, had gone through with an abortion, and so to hear a man feel have those emotions. Powerful. Was, yeah, it was amazing. It is amazing. Welcome back to Aaron the Addison's on American Family Radio. I'm Miki. And I'm Will. Sherry B. has gotten our guest on, and we're going to go to our guest in just a second. But I wanted to make sure to give some calls to action because mm -hmm. Anne, who is still with us, when we talk about being post-abortive, when we talk about abortion recovery, um, as you know, the Lord has walked you through this. But for many, um, overcoming the shame and the embarrassment mm -hmm. and the hurt can be great, right? It's yes. almost insurmountable. Yes. So there are people who are listening who are experiencing some of those, those angsts, if you will, and how do they begin on this road to recovery? There are a number of resources out there, and I know that you did interview Karen Ellison a couple of days ago, so I'll start out uh, with that information. Uh, that is a, a weekend retreat uh, that focuses on post-abortion healing, and you can be at any stage of uh, recovery of healing uh, after an abortion in order to be a part of that. I'm considering even after all of the healing, years of healing, um, 
being a part of one of these retreats. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the the website for that is GoDeeperStill.org, GoDeeperStill.org. Um, and there is um, a segment there on that site where there are a whole host of testimonials, video testimonials that are just wonderful. Uh, another one uh, that I've been through, uh, the one that I've taught many times, is Surrendering the Secret. Mm-hmm. And that website is surrenderingthesecret.com. And uh, another one that I've used also is saveone.org. Both of those, surrenderingthesecret.com and saveone.org, they both have maps on the websites uh, that will help you to find leaders in your local area that mm-hmm. are that are leading groups. Very good. And thank you so much. I appreciate you jumping in and talking with us and sharing your testimony. I know that even after all of these years, it doesn't yes. get easy. Yeah. It doesn't get easier. <laughs> Um, because it's still a, a, a real effect mm-hmm. that it has on women and men, as mm-hmm. we're about to learn. And yes. thank you. We appreciate you. Thank you, Mickey and Will. And hello, Jan- uh, John. He and I <laughs> go way back. Well, maybe you want to hang out. I mean, I don't know. I guess John would be more comfortable with that if, if it were sort of a, a group thing. It's up to you. <laughs> John, are you there? I am. Thank you, Mickey. How are you doing? I'm great, thanks. So, so um, my producer told us that you were a little bit concerned. You didn't know what type of questions you'd get. And so um, we just need your credit card number and expiration date. <laughs> <laughs> and then we'll be good. And if, if you can just get us information publicly, then we would appreciate it. John, thank you so much for joining <laughs> us. We appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. No, it's great to be here. Thanks for, the, thanks for having me on. So we're looking back. Is it five years ago now that the apology was released? Is that right? That sounds about right, yes. Okay, all right, because I, I, I'm thinking 2015. Um, but so I guess this is the obvious question. So as the producer and um, I, I want to say as a, the director of this, this film, what sparked this, the production of it? Like were you just kind of thinking we don't have anything like this or was this a part of your own healing process? Uh. Well, it may have been a part of my healing process, but it, that wasn't the intent. I, I'd actually done so the the calling. I kind of feel like that's on my life is is to reach the post abortive, particularly in the church, uh, with the message of grace. Um, found obviously only at the cross of Christ, and I I, I tend to think that you know ninety percent of the people that have had abortions uh, that are in the church think that Christ died for all of their sins except their abortion, mm. and I feel like the enemy's taken them out of the game completely, or, or for, to a great extent, and um, so I was working in, for uh, kind of as a consultant for a couple of pro-life ministries, and the year before, uh, I had done a film on grace uh, from a woman's perspective, which was my, of course, my initial thought, and uh, by the grace of God, we got it. I believe it was shown in a few thousand churches on Sanctity of Life Sunday, and got some really good support for that. So the next year, I, I just asked the Lord, I said, so what would you have this year? And uh, I sensed he said, you know, from a man's perspective. Wow. And uh, so I, I prayed about what that would look like, and, and I asked a few uh, gals that I knew who were post-abortive and basically leaders in in life ministries, and I, I asked them, what's the one thing that uh, women need to hear from, post-abortive women need to hear from men? And uh, it was almost a consensus. They said, 
I'm sorry. Hmm. Wow. And I, I get, uh, I, I just got goosebumps as I shared that with you because it, it was, uh, it, it was, uh, I believe from from the woman's heart and God's heart, mm. uh, how the apology was first. Wow. You know, it's amazing because as Ann mentioned, we were talking with uh, Karen Ellison just a couple of days ago, and she's talking about this ministry, Go Deeper Still, and um, which I think you actually participated in that. Did you not, John? I did. I'm, if not their biggest fan, I am a huge fan of <laughs> That's amazing. That is, that is absolutely fantastic because one of the things that Karen mentioned was that men feel like they have really kind of failed to protect, that they have let people down. So it would be having let the children down, but then also having let the woman down, the spouse or the girlfriend. Sure. And, and so you would imagine that an apology would make perfect sense right yeah it it and, and it was you know it wasn't just what the woman needed to hear mm-hmm. i think it's what the men needed to say right wow. and it it's what you know i i think i heard you air that uh video kind of at the beginning of the, the spot yes and one of the guys is a, a senior pastor to this day and, and so that was powerful and and it's just um you know by the grace of god i think Pastors overall are doing a better job when they do talk about abortion. They're they're prefacing it with grace because the stats are crazy. It's like one in three in any given church in America have had an abortion. Mm. Wow. And if if the pastor talks about being pro life and how bad abortion is, which is horrible, how and but he doesn't preface it with grace for those who are sitting in his own pews. It, it it's really a bad deal. So this. This message of grace and, and love and, and Christ is what it's all about. So our, our listeners can, um, I would imagine they can look up the apology online, right? They Can they find it on YouTube? Uh, yeah, I think they can. Okay. Um, I, whenever I, someone asks me to, to send it to them, I, I just Google Vimeo the apology because it's a nice clear, uh, but I, I'm sure they can find it on YouTube as well. Okay, Vimeo, the apology. I think that everyone should watch it. I, yeah. I think that every believer should watch it and understand the emotional mm. impact that abortion has on men. And I remember seeing it uh, a few years ago. And for me, you know, I, I just never knew how men felt emotionally, you know, about mm. abortion, you know, because mm. you, you, you get the, the woman's side all the time. Yeah. Like, you know. But that was the first time I've I had ever seen you know men be so emotional about what happened uh, with the, with mm. abortion. What are some of the other like testimonies or things that you've heard uh, men say to you as a result of watching this film? Um, you know, I, I it's, it was kind of stunning back then. Like everyone was shocked that mm-hmm. it, it was from a man's perspective. In fact, it, and this doesn't really answer your question well but it, it was kind of funny as to what happened it, it got a lot of buzz and uh <laughs> I, there's a website i think it's called uh funnierdie.com and oh. they did a spoof on it wow um they they had three women you know it'd be like today's equivalent of of shouting with pride about your abortion wow and they had three women pretty much mock the film but the the kind of Romans eight twenty eight part of it where God works all things together for good was mm-hmm. um, it, hundreds of thousands of people that never would have I think there's 
a bit of a gospel presentation in it, right? And mm-hmm. hundreds of thousands of people that never would have seen it because they're unchurched <laughs> got to see it and, and at least think about this, right? Wow. So yeah. th- I think that was one of the biggest impacts um, yeah. the film had. Wow. John, I want to ask you a question about the uh, Deeper Still retreat that you participated in. And sure. I'm, I'm wondering, generally speaking, if there is a post-abortive man who is listening and, you know, maybe he says to himself, I'm fine. Like, I know that happened, right. but, you know, that was just a decision right. that happened in the past. And, hmm. you know, I understand women need healing. And, okay, maybe John and maybe the men in the film, but they're the only ones. The rest of us, we're yeah. fine. Um, Two-part question here. Um, are they are they wrong? And then two, what would be the symptoms that confirm that they they are wrong mm. and that they do need help and healing? Well, I surely answer the first part of the question and and say maybe I don't know what the symptoms are, and that'll come clear in, in as I share the story. So I thought I was healed. The reason I went to the retreat is I was consulting for a, a pro life ministry and and I had heard about deeper still, and I. I called up Karen and I said, "Hey, would you want to partner with us? We're looking for a, a post-abort partner uh, ministry to partner with." And you know, I'm I'm fine in my mind. And uh, and she's like, "Well, yeah, we consider that, but why don't you come on after the retreat and check it out?" And I'm like, "I live in L.A. and she's in Knoxville." And I'm like, "Well, that's kind of a hike, but okay." <laughs> so I'm I remember pulling up to the retreat on Friday, bounding up the steps you know, full of joy and uh, and open to the fact that God might want to do a new work in my heart, but, mm. <laughs> but really thinking I'm healed. Uh-huh. And I will tell you that, and, and most of the people there were not bounding up the steps with joy. They, uh, most of them were, you know, really saddened and, and like didn't want to be there. You mm. got the impression. There were a couple that were further along in the healing journey. Anyway, um, I will tell you that weekend on the Saturday, is the first time that I ever cried for the loss of my child. Wow. wow. And, Will, you talk about how, how it impacted a guy. It wasn't until I was at that retreat mm. that I actually realized how it impacted me. Mm. And um, it, it was wonderful. And um, <laughs> it, long story short, I think the retreat made me a more, even though I thought I was healed, Obviously, if I'd never cried for the loss of my child, I'd, there was some healing to be done. Mm. And it it made me a much more gracious person to extend grace to others. Like, I think people that knew me knew or thought that I extend grace to others. But in my heart of hearts, often before that retreat, I would kind of condemn my brothers who, who were living in sin or whatever. I'd be like, you call yourself a brother and you do that? And you call yourself a brother and you do that? And... Uh, but I'd be outwardly great. But after the retreat and realizing the depth of my sin and um, and the grace that I know my mm-hmm. who I believe is the son is going to extend to me in heaven is just amazing. And it, if he's going to extend me that grace, wow! And Christ extends me that grace. How John. can I not extend that to someone else? John, thank you so much. I want to remind our listeners, go, go deeperstill.org. It's post-abortive healing for men and women. Until tomorrow, Lord willing. God bless.